0: So the, this series, is, we're, we're obviously focusing in on a particular passage, but we're looking at this passage through a lens, and the lens is unchained. This idea of being set free in Christ uh, by the Spirit's power uh, to walk in holiness and love for Christ, right? We, we want this series to point you and me in, into the right direction for growth in the Christian life. The, the Christian life is a hard thing to live, right? We all, we all know that. And, uh, and so we need as much help as we can get to to walk with Jesus. Um, we're, we're constantly bombarded by the world, by our own sinfulness, and, and by the temptation of the devil to, to want to walk away from Jesus moment by moment. So this, this passage is meant to help us draw near to him and get us closer to live more in light of the freedom we have in him. So we started this back in the very beginning of chapter 8. We saw this in verse 1 and 2. This is kind of the overarching theme. I want to read it for you again, because I think we sometimes forget about the overarching point. And it's this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because God has done, I'm going to read verse 3 too. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. All right, so that's the overarching message of Romans 8, that we have been set free by the Spirit of life to live in the life of Christ because Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves by becoming a perfect man, by living that perfect life and ultimately dying in the place of sinners and rising again from the dead. And so all of our hope is is there. the the We got to understand this. We I was just explaining to, to one of my sons uh, this morning the difference between a war and a battle, okay? Um, the, the battles are the little parts that make up a broader war, right? And so we have to understand that as Christians, we're always in some battle, but the war has been won. The war has been accomplished by Christ, the overarching thing is done. It's over. We're, we're on the victor side of this thing. But right now, as we're walking in, in our human bodies, as we're on this side of glory, Jesus hasn't come back yet. So we're still in the midst of these little battles, these skirmishes, these, these uh, little parts of the war. And sometimes we lose those little fights and sometimes we win them. But the overall message of the, of the gospel is that Christ Jesus has won the war. And, uh, and so we just need to live more and more in light of that. And that's where I think Paul is trying to take us in this passage. And so as we get into our section today, we're looking at verse 18 through 27. So we're going to stop at 27 um, because I think that there's uh, chapter 28, you know, kind of transitions a little bit. So we're going to pick that up next week. But verse 27 is where we'll stop today. and, and, Really, I just want to talk about primarily two things that come out of this. There's so much we could talk about. I think I said this every Sunday so far in the series. We could take every verse and preach a sermon on it because there's just that much gold in this passage. But we're looking at this, again, through the lens of being set free. And what does that mean and how do we live more in that? So we're going to just look at a couple things, all right? Um, Let's look at verse 18 through 22. This is where we're going to go first. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. All right, so here's the first thing that we we need to recognize. Like I said, this, this whole war, the war is won. The battles aren't always won, but the war is won. And What this is telling us, what Paul is reminding us of is that we have a broken world that we operate in. We live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. That's where we operate. Until Jesus comes back again to set all this right and recreate this earth and make this a new place and a perfect place once again. Like, if you want to read the end of the story, read Revelation 21 and 22. That will give you the end, the end of all this, right? That's, that's where it's all going. It's a glorious hope that we have. It's a glorious future that we have. But right now, in this moment in time where we live, we don't, we don't experience the perfection of this world. We are living in a broken world, And that means fundamentally that nothing in this world can satisfy our hearts. This is why Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, right? So right now in this present time, we've got sufferings. It's pretty, I mean, there's some joys mixed in, right? Because we we do have the tangible hope of Christ in our lives. There, there's, there's certainly joys, but there's a lot of suffering. And the suffering can sometimes cloud the, uh, the joys, right? But the, the sufferings of this present time, Paul tells us, are not even worth comparing with the glory that we'll have when Christ comes to set all things right. The glory will outshine the suffering. That... I think that's what you need to, to realize. What I need to realize too is we can, we can see the suffering kind of eclipsing the glory of God right now, but, he, but someday there will, it'll, be, it'll be flipped. The glory of God will, will eclipse the suffering of our present day. And then Paul goes on to say that the creation waits eagerly. The creation, the, the created world waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, for our day of redemption to come as Christ returns for us. So it says that the creation was subjected to futility or or to a state of uh, just imperfection and and it's never going to be what it was meant to be. That creation, the created world was subjected to this futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And I think that's a reference to Adam as Adam disobeyed God, he plunged this world into this futility. And it says that in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So we see this broken world is longing for its own redemption too, that there will be a new created earth for us, that God will make, remake this whole thing and make it what it was meant to be. Here, here's where we need to. Here's what we need to understand. We need to understand that the the world is broken, and as long as we understand that, then we can set up our set realistic expectations for ourselves. I think the reason why we find so much disappointment in this life is because we think, in futility, that this world can satisfy us, and it can't. I think so much of our disappointment with ourselves and with this life is that we think something here and now is gonna bring us satisfaction, and it can't. C.S. Lewis uh, says this, and I think it's in Mere Christianity. I can't recall exactly where it is, but it's one of his famous quotes. Here's, Here's what he says. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. His point is that we're like these children that are just content to live in the mud when, when we've been offered this opportunity to live uh, in this beautiful vacation at the sea, right? This, and, and Lewis's point is we're, we're just way too easily pleased with what's here on, on earth right now. We need to keep our eyes on the ultimate hope that we have in Jesus. The world can't satisfy you. And as long as we operate as, lo- as, as if it can, we're gonna find ourselves disappointed and disillusioned. We need to recognize that we live in a broken world. But let's read verse 23 because he goes on to say this. He says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So not only is the world around us broken, but here's the kicker we're broken. We ourselves, we're also sinful. We're also longing for redemption. And so we live in this broken world. We live with broken selves because of sin and rebellion. So the question is, like, that's a downer, right? I mean, that's, none of that's happy news. So what do we do with this? And where do we go with this? Where, what do, we, where do we take this tension that exists in our lives, where we, we know that we're redeemed in Christ, but we haven't yet experienced that full redemption. So what, where do we live in the middle here? That's where Paul takes us. Look at where we go in verse 24. It says, for in this hope we were saved. What hope? Well, he's talking about the hope of the redemption of our, of our world and ourselves, right? This hope that Christ is going to redeem it all. He's going to fix it. In this hope, we were saved. So the reason that you are a believer in Jesus is probably because, hopefully, it's because you have recognized that there is something in this world that can't satisfy you, and only Jesus can. And so you're throwing your life on Jesus and saying, okay, you're the one, you're my hope. You're the guy that I can trust in. And that's why we're saved, right? We're saved because we we realize that the world will leave us empty. Jesus will not leave us empty, and we need to lean into him. So it's in that hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. He's saying, listen, hope is something that we hold on to while we are still missing something. Right? we're not we don't have it yet if you have it you don't hope for it because it's already yours you you if you if you see it or if it's in in front of you you're going okay I, I've got that right so if you have a dream house and you are hoping for that dream house well you're hoping for it as long as you don't have it once you buy that dream house then you realize what a train wreck it is and then you know you're not happy with it anymore because every everything will disappoint us right everything will at the end of the day but but you don't hope for what you have, you hope for what you don't have. Verse 25 says, "For but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, we wait for it with patience. All right, so I think this gets us to the first thing that we need to, to look at. If we're going to live in the tension of the redemption that Christ has given us, tangibly in the gospel, right? We believe in it. We're trusting in it. We're putting all our, our hope and all of our chips in that, right? That Jesus has saved us from our sin. But yet we still live in a broken world and we still are broken ourselves and we still have this disappointment. Here's how we, here's how we live in that tension. We live in patience. We live in a state of patience. We need to get our hearts into patience, Listen, we're an impatient bunch. Like, <laughs> like, seriously, an impatient bunch. I mean, we live in a society today where we, we don't have to wait for almost anything. Um, I grew up, you know, I'm old enough to, to remember the life before the internet. Okay, not much. I mean, I was probably fourth or fifth grade when we got the internet at home. Um, but, you know, a lot of you are older than me. You remember a lot longer than, than I do before the internet. But what you remember, when the internet first came home, we all started to get it. We had to like wait for, I don't know, it felt like eternity with the beeps and the buzzes and the weird noises. It would like, it's like you're calling to the mothership or something. And then you would get online and it would still take you like 20 hours or something to see your emails slowed. And it was just, it was slow. And, you know, if somebody was on the internet, you couldn't make a phone call back in those days. Or if someone was on the phone, you couldn't log on to the internet. That was how we used to live um, back when I was younger. And now of course we know like we have we carry it in our pockets. The internet's always with us and I think not always for the for the better, but, but it's it's the truth. We have the internet now everywhere. So if it takes more than two minutes for or two seconds, I mean for a page to load, we're start, we're ready to throw our phone across the room because we've been conditioned for instant gratification and the speed needs to be there. We have. Um, I, I've said this several times over the years, but I, I laugh every time I think about it because we have two drive-throughs at McDonald's in, in Anago, right? Like two drive-throughs to get to, like they already microwave a hamburger in ten seconds. I mean, how much faster do you need your food? But here we are, right? We've got we've got this we've got this down to a science, you know, where we don't have to wait for almost anything. Um, I'm not really a coffee guy, but man, coffee, you know, it's Instant coffee is a thing, but that's not fast enough. So we, we've invented Keurigs. So you just push the button and it's, boom, your coffee's ready, right? And like we, they have Keurig makers that you have the water preloaded and it's already heated for you, so you don't even have to wait for the water to heat up anymore. It's amazing. There's a lot of good in that. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to like, I'm not a curmudgeon on this stuff. I like, I like this stuff. It's fine. But here's the thing. Things that really are good and worthwhile take time. they do. Good coffee requires time. Um, good food takes time to make. There's no such thing as good internet, so we'll leave that one alone but um, <laughs> but that like so the 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 whole analogy falls apart with the internet, but that's but you understand what I'm saying like a good relationship builds over time. A, a good anything takes time to get to. There's no such thing as a, as an instantaneous awesome thing. There can be an instantaneous okay thing. Like, okay, this taco from Taco Bell, it's okay. I mean, it. you know, I eat it, I enjoy it, whatever, right? But, It's not good tacos. It's like, it's just, it is what it is. But you know what you're getting yourself into, speed versus quality. That's fine. But when it comes to the growth in Christ that we want to see, I think so much of us have transplanted this sense of we've got to get this now mentality to our Christian growth. And now it's like, if I'm not becoming this perfect, sinless person now Oh man this is it's the end of the world and I'm going to throw in the towel and what's wrong with me or we start to question our our very salvation because we we lapse or make mistakes or have these have these faults or these besetting sins that we can't seem to get and and we've transplanted this 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 desire for speed that we have in our society and we've tried to put that into the Christian life and what Paul says here is that we wait for this this growth this ultimate redemption we wait for it with patience because growth is always a process so there's there's two things we need to recognize we need in this to be patient with ourselves i think a lot of us struggle with being patient with ourselves we want to see ourselves overcome certain things that are that are in our lives that we don't we know that don't bring glory to jesus and so we can become very impatient with ourselves and go, why haven't I figured this out yet? Why haven't I fixed this yet? What's wrong with me? But we need to be patient. We need to give ourselves grace, you guys, we do. Because this whole thing, this whole thing called the Christian life is God's deal. He's doing the work. That work is going to be slow and a a trudge at times and it's going to take it's going to take your life, your lifetime, whatever that means, to get you there. I've I've never met met an an older uh, saint, a believer in Jesus, who wouldn't admit that they still have things to grow in. And if I guess maybe if you have, well, that shows you something that's maybe not not right, right? Like I I remember we would we would uh, go up to Rhinelander to see Crystal's great uncle, um, Bert. He's passed away now. He's with the Lord. But man, he was like in his 90s and just a sweet, sweet man. But I, we'd just sit in his living room and talk with him and he'd still share things that he's dealing with and struggling through and, and as he's trying to walk with Jesus. And he was in his 90s. It's like, all right, I guess I just need to buckle in here for a ride because it's going to take some time. And we need to be patient with ourselves and recognize that Christ is at work. We will see progress, but that progress is going to be slower than we want, perhaps. Um, I'm, I just re- I'm reminded of Martin Luther's thing where he talks about how the Lord graciously reveals to us things that are in our lives, the sins in our lives, but he does that gradually. He doesn't just lump all of our sin in front of us all at once and say, here's all your sin because Luther would say that would kill you. <laughs> like that would, to, to, be, to see the depth of your sin all at once, all in the moment would, would take you out. You just, you'd give up, right? So God trickles the, that information to you over your lifetime and he's like, okay, now you can see this issue. We're going to work through this and as you work through that, then guess what? He's going to show you something new, something different. You just continue to grow in that. That's That's helpful. We need to be patient with ourselves, but we also need to be patient with one another. Now, I don't know. It just depends on who you are, right? Some people are really wired to be patient with others and impatient with themselves. And a lot of, and other people are wired to be really impatient with other people and patient with themselves. It just depends on who you are. Uh, I know Paul Tripp has said that when it comes to ourselves, we're really, really good lawyers and with others, we're really good judges, right? Like we're... We're good to defend ourselves and judge others when we really should be looking at ourselves. Um, and I, I think that's true, to, it, I think that's universally true for all of us in certain situations. But I don't want to just blanket that and say we're never hard on ourselves because I think some of us are way too hard on ourselves. Some of us maybe aren't hard enough on ourselves, right? But, but I think most of us um, kind of need to see that balance. We need to be patient with our, with our own struggles we need to be patient with each other because as long as you live in the in, in the Christian life and you're you're engaged in the local church people are going to disappoint you they're going to hurt you they're going to disappoint you people are sinful you're sinful too but right we're all we we've all got to give our give everyone grace in this thing knowing that the that the work's not done yet it's not over till it's over right and, and this is ultimately what it gets down to, is the reason we need to live in patience is because Jesus is exceedingly patient with us. Second Peter, I don't have it up on the screen, but I'll read 2 Peter 3, verse 9 and then verse 15. Um, here's what Peter writes. Here's a, here's a guy who knew Jesus' patience firsthand because he was a bonehead, right? I mean, Peter was a bonehead. He said things so impetuously. He was just such a fool at times. He ultimately denied knowing Jesus three times, just as Jesus said he would. And Jesus met him after that and restored him to where he needed to be. So now, many years later, Peter writes this letter to a church. And here's what he says about the Lord. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is patient toward you because He wants you to come to repentance and not to judgment. And then He says in verse 15, Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Think about that. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you concerning the wisdom given to him. Count the patience of the Lord. So right here Peter is saying, okay, just listen to Paul too because Paul's saying the same thing I'm saying. Patience. We wait for this hope, this ultimate redemption of our bodies and our world with patience, it's not going to be an overnight thing. We don't fix ourselves in an instant. Jesus takes time because anything that's worth anything is going to take time. So that's the first thing, patience. But there's another thing. Let's look at verse 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit, so we're back to the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit helps us with All right, so this is an incredible, incredible verse. It's like, it's a mind blowing verse. What we're being told here is this. First, look at verse 26 says, likewise, just as we're waiting with patience this redemption of our bodies, likewise, the Spirit, God Himself, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. So weakness here is not talking about your physical weakness, your inability to lift something or, or do something physically. It's talking about your weakness in your, in your soul, in your spirit. You're, you're, you're leaning into sin when you should be leaning into righteousness. These, these, these things that are in us, the Spirit helps us in those weaknesses. How does he do that? Here's how. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God, in other words, we believe in a triune God, a God who is one God in three persons, uh we, we know this is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each member of the, the Trinity, we, we use the word Trinity. It's not a Bible word. The, the, you'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but it describes what the Bible teaches. And so we believe that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. They're all God, one unified God in three persons that have three distinct roles within this. And I don't know how I don't know exactly how that works, right? There are some things that are just beyond our comprehension as human beings. But we know that this is speaking of God, the Holy Spirit, praying for you. He, It says he intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit of God prays for you in your weakness. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know even what to do with that. That's just like, it's just so mind-blowing. I remember hearing J.I. Packer, who is an author, a pastor, and he's with the Lord now as well. He passed away, I think, just back in 2020. Um, he lived well into his 90s as well. But I think I, one of the last interviews uh, he gave before his, his death, he, I think he said, I think this is where I heard him say this, but he said that what this means is that the Spirit of God fixes our prayers on the way up. Like, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what is in God's will. We don't have any ability to know that stuff. And so what what does this tell us? It says, well, the Spirit himself prays for us with groanings too deep for words because he searches the mind of God and he knows exactly what the will of God is. And so he takes our prayers And whatever we pray that isn't in alignment with His will, He just kind of fixes them for us and gets them to God. It's an amazing thing. This also teaches us, by the way, I want to just highlight this. uh, This teaches us that we have direct access to God. We don't need someone to stand in between us. It's important. You don't need to pray to someone, some middleman or middlewoman, to get you to God we can pray and the spirit of god himself takes those prayers and brings them to the father for us and he he repairs what may be wrong with them on the on the way up as gi packer would say this is i think that's helpful right so what this is what this is taking us to i think this is it's patience right we we've seen that we need patience in this thing we also need prayer if we're going to grow in Christ, we need to pray. We need to beg the Lord for help. And what Paul is <clears throat> reminding us of is that we, we don't know how to pray, not the way we should. We don't have a perfect knowledge of God's will. We don't know what it all is. And so what we need to do is we need to pray and know that the Spirit of God himself in, in those prayers takes them to God for us, but also prays for us himself. He brings our needs to the Father. It's an incredible thing. It's, it's just like, it's one of those things that just kind of explodes your brain if you think too much about it, right? Can't really wrap our heads around it. But we need, if we're going to grow in Christ, we need to lean into prayer, knowing that the Spirit prays for us. But there's other things the scriptures teach us about prayer that we need to lean into as well as it relates to this freedom in Christ thing that we're talking about. Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, as he teaches his disciples to pray, He he tells us that we need to ask the Father to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. In other words, we need to pray to the Father for His help to lead us away from temptation towards towards Himself. We need to pray for ourselves as you are wrestling with the temptations of the world, as those things start to creep into your mind and heart, we need to take those things to Jesus and, and say, okay, Jesus, you taught me to pray this way. So let's pray, Father, don't, don't lead me into this. Don't, don't take me here. Take me to you. Right? We, don't, don't take us. St- and of course, God is going to always answer that prayer. <laughs> He's always going to want to answer that prayer, right? Because that's a, that's a prayer that's in alignment with his will. I don't think God's ever going to say, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that for you. He's going to do that. We need to pray for that. The Bible also tells us, though, that we need to pray for each other in these things. Um, again, it's not on the screen. I forgot to throw it up there. But James chapter 5, um, we get to see a glimpse of this. Um, it's, it's really a beautiful passage as well. Here's, here's what it says. Um, We'll read just verse uh, 16. Verse 13 through 15 talks about um, people who are suffering, people who are sick. Go to the church, care, you know, ask the church for help. The elders can pray for you. Um, but then he says this, verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed that you may be healed so so there's a connection here right don't miss the connection the healing i don't think is referring to physical bodily healing i think it's referring to the 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 healing of the soul as our as as we're living in unrepentant sin right as we're living in sin that separates us from from Christ. And so what we're being told to do is to confess that sin to one another. That doesn't mean that you have to parade yourself up here and tell the whole church what your problems are, but you need to find people in your life that will give you a, a, an avenue to do that, to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. It's, it's both of this, right? It's, there's confession, and as that confession is brought out, the person who's hearing this Praise for that person in that moment and it's a reciprocal relationship. It should be that way. It's not that this person is always perfect and this person's always the sinner and you're going to them for absolution or something, but it's it's that there is this one another relationship where at times you're gonna have to confess your sins and be prayed for and other times they're gonna have to confess their sins and be prayed for. We we need to bring this stuff together out though that's the reason why there's healing in this is because as we bring the darkness of our hearts to the light of Christ we actually find results we find that it loses its its power and we we um we need to confess we need to do this and that's that's what John talks about in 1 John as well that if you if you walk in the light as he is in the light you'll have fellowship with one another Right? So there's a restored relationship with people and the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse you from all your sin. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, it means to confess your sin. It means to bring that to, to the light, to, to expose it to what Christ has for you. This, this needs to happen. Now, we don't want to do this. Like No one wants to do this. No one wants to confess their sins but I wonder if that's why we don't find healing. Because we're not actually obeying the scriptures. (laughs) If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And and so we can say, okay, well, I'll confess my sins to God, but I'm not going to confess my sins to another person. But the Bible tells us to confess our sins to other people. So, this is where I think we, we sometimes we find the disconnect, or or the kind of the, the brick wall that we keep slamming our heads against as we're trying to grow in Christ is because we're still trying to hide in the dark when we should be living in the light, and and that means we bring it out again. You don't have to bring it out to somebody who you can't trust, right? You got to trust the person you're sharing these things with, and there needs to be a, a an understanding of that relationship to be. Um, gospel-centered and centered around what Christ has done. Otherwise, it's just heaping more shame on each other, and that's not helpful. But if we confess our sins and pray for one another, we will be healed. That's what the scriptures say. So why do we not do this? What fundamentally is the reason why we don't want to bring things to one another? I think it's embarrassment, partly. And I think it's shame, partly. Partly. And I think, I think it's just maybe there's an underlying belief that if I admit this, like as if I admit that I'm not a perfect person, I'm going to be rejected. So there's a fear of rejection perhaps from other people. Well, let me just tell you, um, I'm not perfect. Neither are you. We've got that established. Okay, boom, we're done. We, we all know that. You're not perfect. Great. You're not going to shock any of us with anything. But I think it really comes down to do we believe the gospel? Do we believe what Jesus has done for us actually puts us in a position of no condemnation? There can be no condemnation for those in Christ. And Larry Osborne says it this way, I've said this many times from from the pulpit and I think it's I just think it's true and I, I this this runs in my head all the time. But if we really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have nothing to prove and we have no one to impress. And so if that's true, if you have nothing to prove because Jesus has proven everything for you, if you have no, no one to impress because the only one that really matters is God, and he's impressed because Jesus Christ stands in your place. If that's true, then why do we need to be afraid? We, we're never going to be rejected by the only one who matters. So let's walk in the light. And I know it's easier said than done, but I really think that if you've got a, a deep-laden sin in your heart that you cannot shake, it's probably because you've never brought it to the light of Christ. And you need to. And you do that by bringing it to someone who loves Jesus, asking them to pray for you and with you. And in that way, you walk in the light. And, and that, the power of that sin begins to break because the power of that sin has been exposed to the light of Jesus' grace. That's what we need. And and I think we need, so we need to recognize the role of patience. It's not an overnight thing. We need to recognize the role of prayer, that the Spirit himself prays for us and that we pray for ourselves and we pray for each other. And and we will actually begin to see tangible things happen as we live in light of this. So let me pray for us. We'll, We'll go from there. Uh, Jesus, we thank you so much that your that your Spirit draws our hearts to you, to the Father, and that you are such a loving and merciful Savior. I ask, Lord, that as we um, stand to sing in a moment, as we partake of the Lord's table, as as we um, give our tithes and offerings, as we do the things we're doing in response to worship, that that it really would be motivated by your work for us, not our work for you. I pray that you would draw our hearts to to walking in the light today. And we ask for your help in that. We need your help. And we pray for the, the patience that we need to see this through. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.